Welcome back to 901 Voices and Votes Podcast, brought to you by 118 Media. This is Kelly D. I'm Brother Jet. And I'm Pearl Walker. 901 Voices and Votes Podcast, where we're talking about everything community, politics, news, and your voice in votes and why it matters. And welcome back to another episode of 901 Voices and Votes Podcast, brought to you by 118 Media LLC. I'm Brother Jet. And I'm Pearl Walker. And I'm Tony Hayes, sitting in for Kelly Price. And on today's episode of 901 Voices and Votes, we have a, another very special guest for you, candidate for 2023 Memphis Mayor and a local businessman in the community. We have Brother James Harvey sitting in with us. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Good morning. And we're just going to kick it off and get started like we always do, James. What we do on the show is <clears throat> rather than us giving you a long, elaborate um, introduction, what we have you do to do is to introduce yourself to our audience. Um, and in doing so, we ask you to pull no punches uh, while you don't have to give a complete biographical detailed uh, story. We do want you to brag on yourself, right? We have a lot of people who hold back on some of their accolades and awards and the things that they've uh, accomplished out of modesty. We don't want that. We want the full picture of the possibilities of all the power of Mr. James Harvey. Okay. I think I can do that. Uh, <laughs> is it my time? It, it, all right. Well, no again, good, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I am James Harvey. I am a candidate for this year's mayor's race, uh, city of Memphis mayor. Uh, just a little bit about myself. I'm a native Memphian, uh, uh, born in Memphis, raised in Memphis. I completed high school here. I attended three colleges here. Uh, graduated from one of the University of Phoenix campuses here uh, in my later years. Uh, however, I've had a great experience uh, with achieving my educational um, excellence. Uh, I'm one of nine children. My mother had nine children. Uh, all of my mother's children are college graduates. We are uh, contributors and uh, value add to our community and society. And my mother's 93 years old um, right now. She'll be 94 this year. So we're oh, proud that she's still here. That's yes. a hand clap. She's yeah, done well. Uh, I never knew my father. I met my biological father at age 30. So let me give you uh, the benefit. The, uh, I'll give you the negative to that, and then I'll give you the benefit to that if if we can consider. Uh-huh. I'm going to talk a little bit about my professional career, and uh, and then I'll come back to that. Uh, actually, I uh, have been in business for about 37, 38 years, practically all of my life. I've built several businesses. I've built some uh, very successful businesses. None that ever uh, met the size of Wall Street, however. Uh, certainly, it afforded my family and I a very, very... Um, uh, high lifestyle, uh, providing all of the things that we needed and perhaps more than what we should have been buying based on the things that we wanted. So God's been real good to us. I am a uh, member of the Middle Baptist Church in Whitehaven. I have been for the last seven, eight years. Um, I have a son that's just like his father, hard worker. His mother and I raised him 
in this city, graduated from a public school. Uh, He attended the University of Memphis, played basketball one year for Passioner, and he went on to complete his degree, and he's well accomplished as a young business leader in the city as well. I was able to encourage him to contribute back to this community and stay here uh, and offer the community uh, a return for what the community provided his parents, his mother and I, uh, that that turned out to be a huge benefit to him as well. And I thought it was uh, only the right thing to do to encourage him to stay here with his learned skills and contribute back to this community. Uh, the, the good Lord did so well for his mother and I uh, during the time we were married that uh, after raising my son and getting him started out on his path, and he's done well, I, I went back. His mother went and started um, taking care of foster children, and then I went and, and uh, taken on the responsibility of two young boys born by a 15-year-old girl had no idea of the father, uh, so that's still a lost cause. But those boys are not without uh, a great father and grandfather. So I am the papa. <laughs> I am the grand. I am the adopted grandfather slash papa. <laughs> those boys have known me since they were born. Uh, I invest in them. I invest in the private school. I buy their clothing. They have a room in my house. Uh, they're in my life. They are uh, beneficiaries of my life insurance. I have savings accounts for them individually, and I continue to support whatever needs they have. That's called giving back. You know, I couldn't be selfish and take the uh, great life that God afforded me coming from a poor parent, a uh, struggling parent with nine children. I could not rest in peace with all that I had been given and selfishly enjoy all that I had the ability to earn. So in my giving back, uh, in my in my being a great father to my son, and after that was complete, I wanted to, to still give the best of my life for a couple circumstances, which I found these two boys that uh, would have perhaps been a statistic had someone not reached out and provided them the love they needed and the support and the fatherly love, the guidance and the support and the nurturing uh, that I've provided these two boys, those two boys could perhaps be part of a system of problems that we see that is plaguing our community today. Um, In my professional life, again, I am currently a business owner I own a, just opened my most recent business, a staffing company as of July of August of last year, still developing and building it, have a couple employees that are uh, working in that business as it builds. Simultaneously, I'm an HR administrator for FedEx and have been for the last seven years. So you can see I'm a glutton for punishment. You said give it all, so I'm giving you all of, all of that I can recall. Uh, I uh, uh, am building this business and currently working full-time with FedEx throughout this year. Uh, I had planned this year to be my last year before I go into the business full-time with the team. Uh, I've served two terms in county commission from 2006 to 2014. 
Uh, I've served on several boards from economic development to finance to uh, just a, a for legislative um, boards, just a plethora of boards at the time. I can't recall them all. I was the chairman the last year of my service on the commission. In 2013, I was elected to chair throughout 2014, which was my last year. Um, I don't know if I've said all everything that I'm intending to say, and I'm hoping that you are quite bored from all of that because I probably could go on, but I think I'll stop there and not belabor this. Well, we're not bored, and that was great. You shared quite a bit. I quite think impressive. that has been very insightful, yes, and also impressive. Thank you for that. Thank you. That's good stuff. Um, I'm going to leave with a first question here that I didn't have in mind to question to to have a question about. I just think it's interesting, and and I'm always into imagery and things like that uh, because I think it means something. Uh, and I was looking at your foldable here. You chose this cover, James Harvey, Memphis Mayor, 2023, with a photo of background of the I-69. Mm-hmm. Picture and I'm sure you chose that purposely with ready to lead. What is that? What What is that supposed to convey to us? That signifies that uh, I understand Memphis has ties beyond its local community. Thus, the I sixty nine. Absolutely, thus I sixty nine that leads all the way to uh, Mexico and 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 there within a lot of different uh, uh, passing through a lot of different. Uh, areas by which Memphis has ties, mm-hmm. and I wanted to ensure that Memphis uh, um, constituents understand that my my outlook for the city is beyond the responsibilities that I would be responsible to here locally. Yeah, it goes beyond that. That caught my attention. That's that's good, and, and I, I know you chose that for a reason. When I saw that, that that's really good that's that's really good it said a lot when i said that and i understood the message you wanted to convey so it was clear um but i'll shoot it to pearl for you for the real tough question all right (laughs) okay so yes let's let's just get straight to it why do you want to be mayor of memphis uh other than uh deciding to be a glutton for punishment (laughs) i think my leadership uh experience will offer memphis a lot um uh, I've been in business for a long time. I've been in leadership uh, position for a long time. I've had military experience. I have discipline in my leadership experience. And it takes discipline, in my opinion, to run a city as diverse as Memphis uh, with the racial issues, with the gender uh, challenges, and with socioeconomic differences, with blight, with uh, all types of things required for a person that's even-handed with the strength to be able to balance all of these uh, different uh, weighty measures of issues. It requires someone that has a, has a strong hand with the ability to manage a broad, vast um, details such as Memphis. Okay, thank you for that. And with that being said, what is your path to victory? My path to victory is the uh, ability to 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 understand people. Uh, I'm not expecting uh, any one particular community to support me. I want the entire Memphis to support the Harvey for Mayor campaign. My my path to victory includes Black, White, uh, Hispanics, Asian. 
and all of the other races that makes up this great community. So uh, that pathway also looks like, uh, looks for me, uh, like an opportunity that I can go back and reflect on based on the re relationships I've built over the years, business relationships, community relationships, church and uh, uh, uh organizations that I've been directly involved in and indirectly involved in, being a parent, uh, all of the assistance and, and uh, help that I've provided, uh, people that have either started their own business, had questions about finance, they've had questions about credit uh, report, they've had questions about how to make purchases uh, based on their financial structure, how to create a budget, how to manage their money. Uh, when I taught school for the small uh, amount of time, I taught school for a semester, it gave me a lot of insight on what the needs are in the community. And when I go back and, and let people know that I'm that same guy that wants to represent them at the highest position in Memphis, which is the city mayor, they remember all of the tasks that I've assisted them in within the community that we're, uh, we're serving in currently. Good stuff. So let's get into, you know, some of the hottest topics when it comes down to Memphis. And every day, regardless of what channel we change and, and watch, we are faced with the issue of crime in Memphis. So let's talk a little bit about crime. Um, can you describe, you know, what your feelings are regarding the state of crime in Memphis? Sure. And what we should do about it. How well, can we turn that around? Well, I, I, the Harvey for Mayor campaign, crime is enemy number one. Crime has to be dealt with. Uh, and everybody says that. So let's be more specific. I, I separate crime from crime uh, perpetrated by adults versus crime perpetrated by juveniles. Mm -hmm. Let's start with the juveniles. You know, every juvenile has an uh, an ACER um, um, review. Uh, you know, ACER is adverse childhood um, experiences. So when you look at a child's ACERs that contributes to, uh, it contributes to crime, uh, it contributes. It, does, it contributes to uh, mental health, the trauma. So let's talk about ACERS. ACERS is uh, dealing with the trauma from uh, teenagers, eighteen and younger, dealing with the trauma and experiences that they've had in their earlier years. Uh, they have. You'll be surprised of the youth that deal with uh, parental. Um, destruction in the family. Neglect period, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. parental neglect, uh, drug abuse. Uh, a lot of these kids are going to to school and they don't, they don't have what they need when they go to school. They come from broken homes. The mental anguish and stress associated with Adverse childhood experiences is is very traumatic, and until we address that, will we actually be able to put our hands around uh, correcting children that are committing crimes? When we send these kids to uh, juvenile court, well, first of all, before we get there, because of this uh, a mental anguish and the trauma by these young kids, 
it appears that there 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 are some systems in place to deal with it, but it only deals with the child and really not with the family. So we've got to create some type of conduit that would allow these social services to be more of a hands-on to the family. Because when we feed a child that's living on a crisis and he has to go back to his home environment in that same crisis, we've only been effective about 25% in terms of being able to show that child something different than, than what they have learned based on bad behavior. So I think if we, and, and, and you all may not know this, there's about $6 billion that comes in to Memphis uh, for nonprofits. 4,369 of those grants that are filed and filled and funded are for animals. That's about $241 million that goes to animals. About 307 nonprofit grants come in the city for youth, youth development. That's about $24 million. So $24 million for youth versus $241 million for animals. It shows you where our power is. How many for prison? Prisons, uh, it's probably a low range. I have all of that data, but it's a low range. But it was those two that really stuck out the most. And that was the number of nonprofit grants coming into this city of a $6 billion total. The disproportionate the number. Disproportionate. Yeah. And I don't know how we spend $241 million on animals in Memphis, but that's what you see. Depending on so what you people would, care about. Yeah. You would like to see more of those funds go to wraparound services? I would. I'd like to see us spend more money and invest more money into mental health for our youth. And I think when we do that, we'll be, we'll, we will address the family, we'll address housing, we'll address education, we'll address their health care. Uh, we'll address all of those essentials that children need to give them what they uh, should rightfully have as citizens and children to be able to propel going forward. And then we got crime per- per- uh, uh, perpetrated by um, adults. Now, when I look at the crime from an adult population, uh, recidivism is a big issue. Uh, we have uh, we continue to uh, have the same criminal. We know where the criminals are. We know what zip codes they live in. We know what type of crimes they commit. We might not know when they're going to strike, but we know who they are. I would be one of those that go and petition to the state legislature about strengthening the laws uh, for crime. Uh, I think people that commit crime should pay after we provide. After we provide the citizens opportunities for employment, education, and all of the other nonprofit support that's already available, and they deny that, I think the only way we can manage crime is by uh, looking at the consequential aspect of what that person deserves based on the criminal act they've committed. And truth and sentencing laws have to come into place. Um, we have to strengthen the Senate. This, they have something about no cash bail. I don't believe this no cash bail works. Uh, someone says, I've heard the DA in some of his speeches say, well, we need to no cash bail because some people can't afford to bail out of jail when they have issues compared to someone that has money that can bail out of jail. 
Well, you know, bail is is not one of those things of convenience. I would go back and say maybe we should increase, look at a person's financial statement and place bail based on the financial statement. Mm -hmm. So if someone rich has to make bail for the same crime as somebody that was poor committed, their, their bail would be based on their financial wherewithal. So you increase it so it's a sacrifice to make at whatever level of a financial um, status there may be. So I'm totally against that. Um, I believe that in, in my administration, crime would be enemy number one, and we would take every measure to try and eliminate and reduce crime. Okay, okay thank mm -hmm. you. Uh, I think we're going to go take a break right now, and we're going to come back with speaking with mayoral candidate for 2023, Mr. James Harvey, and you are listening to 901 Voices and Votes, and we will be back. If you think this show is great, check out our other podcasts under 118media.com. You can find out bios, what we have going on, the various podcasts and all the different genres and how we're growing. And if you're interested in podcasting, we can help you with that too. So check out 118media.com. That's www.118media.com. Or check us out on Facebook. We'd love to hear what you have to say. And we hope you enjoy your listening. Now let's get back to this podcast. And we are back with 901 Voices and Votes podcast, powered by 118 Media LLC, with our very special guest, 2023 mayoral candidate, Mr. James Harvey. And when we left off, I think we were we was getting into the conversation of uh, crime and punishment and things like that. Um, on the backstop of that, there's been a question rolling around about the mayor's responsibility in the next um, administration of uh, policing and <clears throat> at the top of that question is whether or not you feel that there will be a need to replace the head of the police department in the city uh, going forward with whatever plans you have for the city that's a very good question um, you know I have my personal opinion about uh the position, that highest position in the police department, and it's to some degree questionable. But out of the fairness, uh, sometimes when department heads are not performing well, it's because of the tone set from the leadership. And I want to not place the emphasis on, uh, and I'll just name her, Chief Davis, uh, that I know very little about, um, other than what I've read in the papers and the performance of the police department certainly has been a reflection on her as a leader. But moreover than that, uh, uh, the Ch Chief Davis position is actually under the, mayor, the mayor's uh, authority uh, as an appointment. And I would be to some degree remiss if I had to to speak just based on my own intuition. I'd say we perhaps need a new uh, chief of police. But I won't say that because I will not make that decision until I've had a conversation with the with the chief. I need to know what what is her uh, policing plan and strategy. What has been persuaded on her against the will of the department with her knowledge knowing that the recommendations handed down were not, um, uh, they weren't reliable, uh, 
they weren't they didn't put the department in a defensible good defensible position it created more risk and it has uh, consequently created a huge divide even among the ranks below her position so without knowing what their what the police plan uh, has been and what she's been either forced to rely on or has been misman or has mismanaged uh as a result of not having a very good plan, I need to understand that before I start uh, placing judgment. And in the fairness of being a professional and respecting her as a professional, that that is something I would have to rely on before I could make that decision. That's good. One of the best answers I've actually mm-hmm. heard because you got to understand, you got to admit and that you don't, that you're not familiar and then allow time to understand the inner working and structural processes of the department before you can make that decision where this person is a good fit or not, right, or what happened. That's that's good stuff rather than just coming out broad-based and saying, yeah, I will change or fire, et cetera. Getting the, getting the data and looking at the information. Absolutely. A person's choices are only as good as the information we have. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. and, and I would like to think that the chief has a plan. Uh, what I know from having served eight years in public office, uh, sometimes the person that's the head of these departments are so ruled, they're ruled and controlled, and they are uh, are, are garnered by uh, information and powers to be that have no idea of what the real responsibilities are. Not only does that happen in the city's administration, it happens in the corporations that we work in. It happens on our jobs. It happens all around, even in our churches. Sometimes we think things that occur in our churches are occurring for a particular reason when it was really a mandate from the person at the top. Yeah, understood. Intra-political ranking. Yeah, operating without autonomy. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And for this mm-hmm. next segment, what we're going to move on to is we're going to get into the economic piece of, of uh, governance, okay? Um, and I believe Pearl had a question for us on that. Sure. So we've um, dealt with crime in a considerable portion of this um, conversation, and, and you've done a excellent job sharing your position on how you want to address that. But one of the pink elephants in the room is the poverty. And so here in Memphis, we have a African-American population of roughly about 65%, yet we're only controlling one to 3% of the receipts. And to um, piggyback on Ted Townsend, um, CEO and president of the Memphis Chamber, he speaks about how we have the largest black um, tech talent population in the country and their goal moving forward is to create more expand the black middle class and also creating black wealth but with respect to the crime and the poverty and economic development what are your thoughts on economic development as it relates to um building a better and more sustainable Memphis for all Memphians and, and drawing from your business background as well as you have already referred to in, in conjunction with your leadership style. So uh, my position on that is, uh, in, uh, in my opinion, you need a mayor that is experienced and toned with businesses and with people. Uh, I've worked in, and I've managed uh, for one of the largest companies in the U.S., uh, FedEx, and, and HR recruitment and training, I have actually managed in 15 to 20 different states. What does that mean? I had an opportunity to see and work with different cultures, 
see a lot of different business types, see a lot of different type people and understand their thinking uh, capacity as it relates to economic development, how how decisions are made when major businesses move into a particular um, city. The mayor has uh, the ability to appoint and remove department heads. He carries out uh, policies, procedures, and um, processes relative to uh, his role. Uh, The mayor has the ability to appoint board members to various agencies, commissions, and authorities, including MLGNW and Memphis Area Transit Authority. The mayor has sole contracting authority as well. So that puts the mayor in a perfect position to be able to negotiate in the best interest of the citizens, businesses that uh, are, are willing to locate here. So how do we get there? When we look at our statistics of uh, our racial makeup, you're right, we're, we're about 65% black and about 27% white. I think there's probably 4 or 5% other. But here are some alarming numbers that affect our ability to tra- attract new business aside from leaders that we're, we have and have had in the past that have no business concept in the big scheme of doing business to be able to utilize that authority and negotiate best deals for the city of Memphis. They rely on the Greater Chamber of Commerce, which that is the sales force for the city, and I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. However, the mayor can go above and beyond that in influencing major corporations to locate here if the corporations understand that that mayor understands value as it relates to quality businesses. But we, have to, we, we can't uh, overlook a few things. Uh, we're always number one and number three is one of the highest cor- uh, crime areas in the city. Our poverty rate is about 25%. Our child poverty is uh, around 40%. Our school dropout rate is somewhere between 18 and 20%. Our college graduate rate is about 237 to 24%. Um, and Memphis, the median income here, uh, it's $28,000 per, the meet, the per capita income is $28,000, approximately $28,000 a year. The median income here is about $44,000 per year. Compare that to Nashville, which has about 100,000 more citizens or residents than we do. Their, their per capita income is about $33,000 a year, and their median income is about 69000 That's a huge stretch. So what, how, what are these, uh, so what about the differentials in the percentages? Well, one has to assume that where, where wages are higher, the education level is higher. Uh, one has to assume that where where education is higher and uh, and income is is uh, larger, uh, then crime is lower. And when you look at those statistics across the board, we got one in fifty two uh, uh, persons chance of in being involved into a, a criminal act in Memphis. It's about a one in ninety chance of that happening in Nashville. So people tend to want to invest their dollars where they feel that they are safe, they have the freedom and the luxury of enjoying their environment, uh, and they have a leader 
that is toned to in, to making sure that when something does arouse, it's quickly dealt with that gives citizenry comfort uh, of knowing that uh, I'm investing in a very good place. What Memphis has negotiated um, through the EDGE boards and some of the other boards, and I know you all want to get to that, they've negotiated us as being a great place for companies to, to locate, to take advantage of our tax dollars and drill down the wages below a living wage, whereby this is a fertile ground for businesses to locate uh, versus places like Nashville because it doesn't cost as much money for business to, to be here. And the other part, and I'm going to quit. You just gave me a signal. I'm going to be quiet. The other part No, it wasn't that, a signal. I was um, signifying. Okay, great. The other part to that is we don't even have clawbacks when we give these companies that are not necessarily strong companies and good for our community. When we give them our tax breaks through whatever vehicle means we, we utilize, we don't have any clawbacks. We should have clawbacks whereby if they don't fulfill uh, uh, their commitment, then we would they would be responsible for paying the, the taxes that they gain back right. to the city for non-performance. I believe that is so important. We see so many companies that have come in, set up, didn't stay the allotted time, and then they're out, and there's no penalty or recompense. Or never got around. No accountability, no consequences. Right. Never got around to hiring the number of minority participation right. participants required through the contract and all that. So now we're getting into the oversight portion of that. Uh, do you think you would retain that model of doing business, or would you rather create keep that model and create some oversights? Go ahead, Pearl. And and before you respond, I was raising my hand because. You're the only person that I've heard speak to um, promoting Memphis as a place where you can pay lower wages. Actually, Memphis Tomorrow had there on their web had that on their website a few years ago, and when it was discovered, there was some public outcry. They shut the site down for a few months, and when they came back, they they modified. had had modified that narrative but to to promote your city and liter- literally say you can pay low re- wages here is just it's just a crime against the city to me and to change it after it was discovered means that's still your model of thinking right it right. still goes on in the boardroom but you know better than to put We're it just on not your website, put it out publicly. right yeah and you got to and and you know you, you guys are right you got to give way to this I gave you some alarming statistical data, but let me t- tell you a few good things about Memphis along the lines of Ooh, that. Please do. We're still 21% below the average on rent. Mm-hmm. Memphis is 21% below the average on rent. When it comes to utilities, we're about 10% below the national average on utilities. We're, we're, we're 9% below the national average when it comes to food, gas, and bus fares, but, uh, public transportation. So, so Memphis has some great. The assets. cost of living is the cost of living mm-hmm. here is extremely good. If we ever get the crime situation under control, which I believe the Harvey for Mayor campaign will be able to uh, uh, perform and establish for Memphis, I, this will be an excellent place to live. But I think, in hindsight, uh, I think we'll have to increase. Uh, our cost to some degree to meet some of the future benchmarks that will be required 
to deal with crime because I want to see us hire the full complement of officers that we need. We've got to have enough officers. Some Someone says, well, uh, I've had some um, uh, special interest in some of these uh, small groups really badger me and say, you want more officers? Officers don't stop crime. No, officers don't. And nor those guns uh, kill people. It's the people that's actually behind the trigger with intent to, to, to commit harm that makes the gun dangerous. So police don't stop crime, but the more police officers we have, the better response that we can provide our citizens. And I certainly support that. Yeah, and, and I've gotten pushback on that from my cir- circles as well. I'm for more police, right? Uh, but better trained, trained in specific things like that. Uh, when police are called on mental evaluation, they can make that evaluation and do an effective job. Um, and I think only until recently, it goes back to what we were talking about off air about the school situation and things like that. Only until recently, Memphis police were paid at the second lowest rate of any other police department in the county. And I think that was only politically adjusted because it became public, right? And that's sad. You know? Well, it, it's always been. But what, what you have now, you have a person that's, that's on his way out from being the mayor with intentions of becoming your congressman, and it's only in his best interest to start promoting all of the goodwill that he can. Now, I don't have any issues with the, with the mayor. I think he's a great guy. Thank God his, terms are, his term is up so we can get someone in that would be serious about doing the job for the, city, for the citizens of Memphis. Good stuff. Um, have we touched on, touched on all the questions of the economic uh, yeah, issues? Yeah, I, I think like that, that we got, have touched on a lot yeah. of the economic issues. I did have – I, I wanted to quickly ask what did you feel about the um, – Resolution or whatever it was that Edmund Jr. proposed. Uh, he called it a reparations packet, but if you listen to it and read it, it's not really reparations. But what was this, a $5 million money they acquired to perform a study uh, here locally on reparations? A, a needs assessment, a needs something assessment. along those yeah. lines. But, yeah, this is with the county commission. Yeah, for the, well, you know what? I won't challenge. I think uh, Councilman Ford is a uh, respectable person. His heart's in the right place, I think. I don't know if I would condone reparations. What I would rather condone is an opportunity, whatever you call it, mm-hmm. is an opportunity for uh, local citizens in business and not in business, better opportunities for banking, obtaining housing, better job quality, uh, uh, small businesses, the ability to obtain loans without a lot of the red tape. If we, re- if we remove a lot of the bureaucracy, you know what I like about the, the, the African-American slash black community? We're very resilient. We're not asking to rewrite history, and I don't want to speak for Councilman Ford, but I think he's a reasonable man. I don't think we, we would be asking to go back and rewrite history and let's start over. That would, that would not be a wise thing to do. I think what we're asking is take some of the burden off of the people that make the largest contribution to our communities and start considering opportunities that have never uh, been considered before. And removing a lot of the bureaucracy and, um, and providing assistance where there's an opportunity to 
provide that assistance based on qualifiers, of course. Uh, I just think that the city and I think our businesses could do a lot in helping. That's good. And it seems like you're going somewhere where this is going to be my final comment at the table here. And I was going to let the the, the Sister Pearl take us out. Uh, um, The entertainment aspect, I believe, is an untapped industry in this city in particular because of the people here and the poorest people. And I think that will solve a lot of our juvenile problem if we build and create systems for them to direct their talents that they already have, right, and the things that they're interested in. If we can remember throughout history, our struggle, where black people have struggled, you have things like the Harlem Renaissance was born out of that struggle, right? Even the city of Memphis through Robert Church um, uh, and the founding of Bill Street, right, was born, the entertainment industry helped pull Memphis out of the rut it was in, right? Um, I think we have a large untapped source here, of black entertainment in particular, but our entertainment industry is not being taken advantage of to the fullest with respect to where it can help our young people. And I think arts and culture here in Memphis has just totally been looked over. Looked over. They've had they've they had defunded the commissions and things. Yeah, absolutely. We had a great person. Her name was Walker. Pearl. Wa- I mean, not no. Pearl Walker. Uh, Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker. Mm-hmm. She was. Uh, Around when I was Memphis there. Music Commission, Memphis Music, Memphis Commission. Music. yeah. Mm-hmm. And listen, that has become so political, and it became so. Um, and that hurt her. I, ta- I had several conversations with her. That yeah. hurt her a yeah. lot. Yeah, it, it way, came way controlled. It became, yeah, mm-hmm. it was it was very much controlled by the powers to be. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, people who had no interest, no music, no art talent or anything. Absolutely. But yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. If we could re- if we could uh, revitalize uh, arts, music and culture uh, for the city of Memphis. Listen, we're the icon for music. We've had some of the greatest uh, musicians come out of uh, Memphis or this area mm-hmm. uh, that's still real, uh, world renowned yep. and we should be taking advantage of that. I live in the neighborhood where Elvis Presley's um, uh, mansion and, and, and their footprint is. I live mm-hmm. in a, a community just behind the museum and listen, if you haven't gone to the Elvis Presley, I love Bill Street. I love the uh, Lorraine Motel but if you haven't visited the Elvis Presley uh Compound with mm-hmm. all of what's going on over there, you miss a huge knowledge of of uh, culture from that time, from mm-hmm. that era. And we've got we've got new artists here. I just met not long ago a couple guys that were doing rap, religious rap. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't grow up in the rap era, but I respect that genre. And the mere fact that they were just good, clean young people that wanted to exercise what they learned from the music college mm-hmm. over there on Madison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any idea. I like to see that at the We Halloran should Center. have an idea, right? We should have <laughs> yeah. an idea. And it's those type things that we could embrace that that should be taking place in the Halloran Center. Yep. Every weekend there could be some act from our own youth, and that mm-hmm. could help curb. And, and young people could if you watch your behavior and, and do function That's well. Correct. You can earn rights to which you, through your talent to get on that stage. Whether you create music, play an instrument, or whatever, you can get on that stage. The possibilities are there, right? That's correct. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much. Um, So we have had a wonderful conversation with James Harvey, mayoral candidate for Memphis Mayor 2023. 
Memphis Mayor 2023. And before we wrap up, there's something that we do with all of our first-time guests, and Jet is going to take you through this portion. Okay, Mr. Harvey, here's, here's, here's the tough questions that I warned you about earlier, right? What we do with all, all of our first-time guests is we ask three questions. And we believe these three questions allow our audience and the city of Memphis to get to know our guests very, very, very intimately, right? Without having to ask intimate questions, okay? I only have two caveats to this question. They can't be any of your own works, and the Bible cannot be one of your answers. Okay. The answer can come from the Bible, of course, but you, the Bible cannot be an answer, okay? okay? All right, question number one. What is your favorite Author and or book. My favorite uh, author would probably be uh, Siaka um, that wrote. He's the it, uh, he wrote the book. God Almighty, what a question! Uh, and I forget his his last name, but it's Siaka that wrote. I read. Mm-hmm. Business autobiographies and biographies. That's, yeah, he wrote the book on uh, the Marriott family. Okay, uh, and I enjoy reading uh, books that are. I don't read novels, and I read business, mm-hmm. and I read periodicals from the news, and then. But I do love autobiographies and biographies. It's talking about the family makeup of how the Marriotts evolved. Into mm-hmm. the Marriott hotels. That's I good. enjoy those type books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. And that, that that speaks to James Harvey. That's, yes, and that's what we want here. Question number two: Your favorite movie and or television show? My favorite movie is The Godfather. <laughs> uh, I'm still I'm dating myself, perhaps, but I still like the old movies. I think that's the second Godfather answer we've had during this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. And last and final question, question number three. If for whatever reason I lost my mind or anything, I grab your keys, run out there and hop in your car and turn that ignition switch, not just general radio or anything like that, but if I pop in your CD player, MP3, 8-track, whatever you deal with these days, what am I going to be listening to in Jane Harvest ride? If you turn on my and my little Volkswagen, you turn the switch on my car, it's going to be on 917 and uh, if you push the media button, which has a tape in there, you'll you'll get blues by BB King. Ooh. So I'm from one extreme to the next. <laughs> All, All right. right, sounds good. That's good. But the people know. Yeah. I, I guarantee you, more than anything you've talked about here, the people know a lot about James Harden. Well, I hope Three so. questions. Yeah. <laughs> but that's good stuff. We appreciate you having on. I appreciate having you on. And until next time, just hold tight. If it looks like we're getting smaller and smaller, it's because we're getting farther and farther away. Holla. <laughs> Thank you. This has been a 118 Media Production.